Good evening, everybody. Welcome to season two of The Den. This is your host, Isaac, a.k.a. The Finisher. I'm just so excited today, man, because we have a very special guest. First of all, how's everybody doing? How was your week? How was your weekend, man? You know, um, let us know. You know, let us know how you're doing in the comments. But once again, we have a very special guest. You know, without further ado, um, this gentleman here, um, he really has a very special message. And he's very, very impactful. And I'm so excited to have him on my show this evening. And without further ado, I welcome you, our guest, Mr. Umar Hamed. Hey, What's Isaac, going on, Umar? So much. How you doing? Oh, happy Dave. It's a happy day, dude. It is. Uh, we are on a planet of almost eight billion people, and uh, what a blessing to be alive. And one of the things I really want to share with people is this: is that you can look in your life right now, and if you're looking for like misery and heartache and pain, you will find it. But there's probably a gazillion things that are going right with this happiness, joy, love, caring. And my advice to everyone is. Look at the sunshine, not the shadow. You know, Uma. You know, I've I've had the opportunity to um, view a few of your your interviews with other with other podcasters, and what impressed me about you is just your own resiliency of energy, of positive energy, man. You know, you always brought it, and and you always brought that positive attribute to any set, to any stage that that you happen to sit at or whatever mic that you decide you want to sit in front of so tell our audience really who you are and what you do so uh i am someone who is uh, my mission in life is to teach people that uh they can overcome any limitation that comes their way it's all a matter of mindset and when we do that, we can do spectacular things. So let me give you an example, because it sounds like, well, yeah, we heard that before, Umar. So let me give you an example. I had uh, somebody recommended this woman to come uh, see me, and she's a commercial real estate agent, and she's reached a certain plateau, can't get beyond that. And uh, so she calls me up, and I said, you know, hey, you know, sometimes things from our past hold us hostage, and one of the things we'll do is figure out what in your past is stopping you from achieving the results you want. She goes, oh, I already know what that is. I go, really? Uh, what was that? She goes, when I was eight years old, my father started sexually abusing me till I was 12. And I just recently found out he did the same thing to my two daughters. And so the very first session we did, we didn't focus on what had happened to her in the past, but we focused on uh, Isaac, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard someone say this? You know, a part of me wants to start this business, but another part of me isn't sure I can make it. Or a part of me wants to buy a house, and another part of me thinks I can't afford it. Have you ever heard of uh, someone say something like that? I say that every week. Yeah. About whatever situation that's going on in my life. And what I found out, Umar, for me, is that, you know, my self-esteem, you know, I'm, I'm constantly have to reevaluate, you know, how I feel about myself. Um, how do I look at myself and how do yeah. I see myself? And that's with so anything I, in life. 
So that's, I'm going to help you with that before we finish the call today with you and your listeners. I'm going to show you how to amp up your self-esteem anywhere, anytime. But going back to our hero, this uh, commercial real estate agent and what, what happened to her in the past. So the first session we did was there was a part of her that knew she could be a rock star as a realtor with certainty and power. And when she was telling me about what she wants to accomplish, her right hand, she was doing gestures, powerful voice, passion in what she was talking about. And then on her left hand, when she started using her left hand to talk, she had a weak voice. You know, you know, with my past and my education, I'm not sure I can do this. And her hand gestures are weak and her voice was weak. And as soon as I saw that, I said, okay, you got an inner conflict. There's a part of you that knows you can be great and another part of you that thinks you don't deserve. So the very first session, we resolved that conflict. The next session, we tackled the incest. And the third session, I showed her how to become fearless. And if you guys are interested, we'll put a link in the show notes of what she felt like after the third session. Most Total definitely. transformation. And one of the things she says on her testimonial is, my kids were asking me, Mom, are you okay? She goes, uh, yeah, sure, I'm okay. Why? She says, you know in the past, you're screaming and yelling at us all the time. You haven't yelled at us in three weeks. We're just wondering if everything's okay. And she realized that she had changed at the fundamental level. And the reason I share that with you is this, is that the maker did not put you here on earth to struggle. Put us here to succeed. Put us here to be successful. Put us here to have love and passion and happiness and be of service to others. Is just... As we grow up in life, circumstances happen and we get to doubt ourselves. We get to lower our self-esteem. We get to second-guess ourselves. And if anybody out there listening has that voice inside your head that is not helpful, that tells you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not tall enough, you're not short enough, that all comes from our experiences. And that's what we need to change. Once we change that, you get to shine, baby. And when you shine... You give permission to people around you to go on the same journey and reach their best potential. But Omar, is that always our circumstances or our situations? So here's what happens, uh, Isaac, is it turns out humans are meaning-making machines. So when stuff happens, uh, it doesn't really make a difference. But if stuff happens and there's lots of emotions there, either positive emotions or negative emotions, we're meaning-making machines and we make meaning out of that event. So let's say something tragic happens, like you're in school and the teacher, this is a true story and I've heard this story dozens of times. It's a kid in elementary school and the teacher says, you're never gonna amount to anything. It's like, what kind of evil teacher says that to a little kid? But the kids laugh. When that happens, that kid makes meaning out of that event. And some kids go, I will show you. But more kids go, I'm stupid. And when you get a belief like that, either I'm amazing or I'm stupid, your whole being looks to validate that belief. So let's say I got a belief I'm stupid when I was eight years old. If I do something right, I discount it. Oh, my God, I got lucky. But if anything small goes wrong, it's like, oh, my God, see, I am stupid. And it gets stronger and stronger. And that lie that the teacher told us, we surround it with little circumstances that validate it. And before you know it, you know those little rubber bands you can make a ball with? And some people make a really big ball with it? That's <laughs> yes. what we do. 
we make get all these little things that happen and make that initial lie seem true and at the same time you could get a belief like uh the teacher says oh my god you're amazing and you go i am amazing and then all of a sudden you start collecting data and circumstances that prove you're amazing and guess what when that ball of rubber bands gets pretty big then you come into a place and you strut in and if there's an opportunity you go for it and you take it and because you got the right mindset you achieve and that just further validates that you are freaking amazing so that's how beliefs work and it turns out isaac that you your listeners me have anywhere from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand beliefs that define who we are as human beings and most of those beliefs are pretty amazing you've got a podcast you've got a house you've got a car you got people that love you but some of those beliefs that you got isaac hinder you and stop you from being exceptional and some of those beliefs made perfect sense when you were five but have no reason to be in your life now and that's what we need to realize is that we need to be in the belief change business if we want to achieve spectacular results you know most of us we do inherit um many of um our siblings and people that we look up to belief systems Oh and, yeah, and, and you talk about the belief systems, and you talk about the circumstances. However, many many men, I know, you know, in our line of work, I work in the Department of Corrections, and I was I was at I was at um I was at my desk today, and I've been there twenty one years, and I have mentored or coached over three thousand plus men, and Bravo. one of the common denominators that I found in my 21 years of dealing with individuals, right? Is one, their, their self-esteem. Two, yes. the learned and taught behaviors. And, and, yeah. th and three, that belief system. All intertwined, absolutely. And uh, so let me tell you about a belief system that was kind of magical. Wanna hear this story, Isaac? So I used to live in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and uh, in a certain part of Baltimore, there's certain neighborhoods where there's lots of crime. And when you're a kid, sometimes you feel like the only way you can survive is to join a gang. So our hero joins a gang when he's 14. And the initiation to join the gang is you have to murder someone. And that's what this young man does. He murders another human being. And then a few years later, he gets caught for some wrongdoing and goes to, goes to jail. And as he's in jail, his younger brother, who is a basketball prodigy, gets a full ride to the University of Maryland. He's going to be the first person in his entire family's history to go to university. Our hero comes out of uh, prison, and one day his uh, brother is coming home uh, at night. And this September, he's about to go to University of Maryland, but this is like in the summer. And as he's coming up to his front steps, a 14-year-old kid who's doing his initiation murders him. And our hero loses his mind. And every night he goes out hunting for this kid that killed his baby brother. And one night he comes home at about 2, 3 in the morning, comes into the family room, and his mom is sitting there in the dark. And she says, I know what you're doing. And then she gets up and she touches his face with her hand and says, I don't want to lose another son. And she goes to bed. And something in that moment changes inside our hero. 
He leaves the house. He goes to the inner harbor in Baltimore. He takes his gun and he throws it in the middle of the harbor. And he starts this organization. They've got a storefront where kids can come in and play video games and have a safe place to go. He teaches negotiation skills to gang members so they don't have to shoot it out. They can talk it out and uh, just changed Baltimore. And it happened in that one moment. So we can go from being okay to being broken in a moment, but we can also go from being broken and hell bent on murdering someone and your mom just touching your face and it changes your entire being. So change happens in a moment and there are ways to help people get there to that moment of change. And here's the, the rest of the story I wanna tell you and then I'll shut up for a little while, Isaac, is that when I talk to people that are in middle class and they look at you know, people that are in poorer neighborhoods and it's like, come on, man, we live in the, the most prosperous country in the world. If they, all they need to do is pull up their bootstraps and that's what they think. And our hero that was telling me the story about what his mom did and how he changed his life around. He was saying that, you know, hey, one day I was at the center and this kid who was about seven, seven years old, eight years old, he's sitting playing video games and I'm in my office. He's the only kid there. So I go out and kind of sit with the kid and I just my lunch just came and I've got this sandwich and I'm about to eat my sandwich as this kid's playing uh, the video game. And the kid goes, are you gonna eat all of that sandwich? And our hero goes to this little kid, no, no little man, here, take half. And the kid takes half the sandwich and only eats half of it. So he eats a quarter of the sandwich and he wraps up the rest of the sandwich in a napkin and says goodbye and he leaves. Uh, the next week, the same thing happens. The kid asks, are you gonna eat all of that? He says, no, you can have half my sandwich. Kid eats half, wraps it up in a napkin and is about to leave. And our hero says to that little kid, how come you do that? How come you only eat you know, half the sandwich? or a quarter of the sandwich. He says, because my mom's on crack and I have to take the sandwich home to my three-year-old sister so she can eat. And if people realize what people go through in, in challenging families, whether it's middle class or upper class or lower class, that they would realize that uh, it's a tough life for people. And I can't even imagine, I've not missed a meal in my entire life. And this kid is so self-aware that he's only eating half a sandwich so his baby sister can eat. Wow. When I tell that story to people that are privileged, they kind of go, okay, I get it. That we need to help people with love in our hearts and give them opportunities to shine because we all deserve it. But sometimes we can't find our own path. You know, Uma, I, I've heard hundreds of those stories in my, I believe line, it. in my line of work. And this, and, and after a while, they just become so competitive, repetitive. And it's like your heart goes out. And many of those situations that you're talking about, you know, one or two, one or two things happens. You acquire a hero or a demon develops. Yep. Out of necessity, out of des out of desperation. And many of the young men that I come across, some do it out of desperation. Some do it based on um, the environment, the conditioning. Yep. And some, and some do it, you know, because they feel like that's the right thing to do. And unfortunately, you know, many of the young men that I come across, um, by the time they get to me, 
they've been in that place two or three times and now they're looking at numbers that they can't take back and i always ask them if it, is it one if it was one thing that you can change what would it do and many of them say i would have never joined the game yep i wouldn't have never got involved i would have stayed in school i would have listened to my parents i would have kept you know my family network tight and I would have done what I know that I needed to do. So going, Isaac, yeah. So going back oh, to everything go. you're saying, it's yeah. just that learned and taught behavior that we acquire based on the conditions that we surround ourselves with. So Isaac, the truth of the matter is, if I was in that situation and I was a kid, there's probably an eighty percent chance I would have joined the gang. Like where I grew up, I would never have done it in a million years. But if I was in that certain, so the one thing people need to understand is this, is that every single human being in that particular moment makes the best decision they can possibly make with what they know and what resources they have. And so once we realize that, it's like, okay, they made a bad decision, but at that moment in time for them, that's the one that made the most sense. Nobody says, you know, hey, how can I screw up my life right now? I'm going to do this decision versus that. They, somewhere in their mind, they think this is a better decision for whatever reason. And looking from you know, our point of view, looking at it as an onlooker with more experience, we go, no, no, don't do that, please. So are you still a corrections officer, Isaac? I am now a, clini I'm now a senior um, clinician. And um, I deal directly with... Um, the inmates to come in that that have issues with alcohol and substance abuse, mental health, um, violence, domestic violence. So, I so think right now, right now I'm in Toronto, Canada, and I've been traveling from. I sold my house and I just travel these days, uh, but I'll be coming back to Baltimore the first part of September. If it's of service to you and your community and you want me to come in and do a, a mindset workshop for whoever, just say the word. I'm going to be there in uh, the first and second week of uh, September. If it's of use or value, let me know. We'll make it happen. You know what? That sounds amazing. And you know what else? What else? I currently work in New York City, but I'm originally really? from Washington, D.C., Southeast raised, Southeast born. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, you know, we come from the same, um, some of the same conditions. And unfortunately, it, I tell people, you know, when I tell my story and I laugh about it, I said one of the smartest things that I ever did not do was to join the game. I believe it. Because people around me was doing it, and I was seeing some good results based on, once again, based on the conditioning. And then I saw some bad results, individuals, friends of mine, associates of mine, going to jail for a long period of time. However, that conditioning makes it okay. It makes it okay. And like what you said earlier, making the best decision that you possibly can make at that time, that's a powerful statement. Because many of us, we don't think about it like that. At that present moment, whether he was 12, 13, 15, or 16, if he or she has adverse circumstances at the home, 
whether the father or the mother is abusive, um, drugs is is um, associated in the home. You have a mother or father that may be um, have become workaholics or an absent parent. Yep. So most of our youths, all they have is what's around them. However, at some point, at some point, you know what you do. Yep, agreed. Because as humans, we have what we call common sense. And as you know, Isaac, uh, that's the least common sense that we have. Unfortunately, it is true. It really is true. So when I first came to America, I married this... uh, beautiful woman from Baltimore. We met in Canada. And after a year, she said, I'm homesick. So we moved to the States. And one of the things I was kind of like dumbfounded was just the level of violence in the States versus Canada. So I started asking different people, like, how come? And one day I was at a, in San Francisco on the subway platform, waiting for my train. And the only other person there is this African-American gentleman. And I go, hey, can I ask you a question? I just moved here from Canada. And I'm trying to figure out why is this place so violent? And this is what the gentleman said. He said, look, when I grew up, if I did something wrong, the closest adult came over and smacked me on the back of the head. By the time I got home, my mom knew about it. She gave me a whooping. And when dad came home, uh, you know, it was off the charts. He says, but when drugs came into uh, the equation, there's so many men get incarcerated that moms are raising their kids by themselves or grandmoms are. And just without that father figure, it just changed the entire dynamic of what was going on because, you know, some of the best parents I've ever seen are single mothers, but that's a hard, hard gig to do when you got to work and you got to support your kids. And if, especially if you're young, that's a, that's a tough trick to do is to be a great mom and support everything. And uh, your thoughts on that? Do you think he read it right? Do you think it was uh, needs modification? First of all, before I even answer that, I want to give kudos out to all the hardworking single mothers out there. Oh, yeah. That's getting up every day and doing the best that they can, even when they don't feel like it. That's first and foremost. Bravo. Um, I was raised in that era. And from personal experience, um, I watched some things happen in our, in our public school systems. It was a time in our public school systems where we were able to get vocational training. Yep. Right? Um, there, were, there were times in that process that there were more than less two-parent homes. Unfortunately, early 70s, mid-70s, they started taking the vocational and educational training classes out of the schools. And then they started flooding the neighborhoods. And then the welfare system, you know, the early 70s, the welfare system kicked in. Yep. And our mothers couldn't get no help if they had a man in the house. And the early 80s, when the crack epidemic, when it was an epidemic, that's what they say. They locked up a generation full of men. Yep. So now, over the last 15 or 15 years, our uncles, 
some fathers and brothers are coming home to kids that had no role models. They had to get out there and learn it on their own. And you know, mothers and sons, at, at some time, at, at some point, you do the best that you can. But when the street gets your boy, it's hard for him to come back. Yep, because definitely. they're influenced by, by an entity that that's so powerful that many times they can't even let go. You know how many times, in, you know, just like I said, I work in a correctional inf- institution. I can tell you when certain guys are coming back to jail, whether it's spring, summer, winter, or fall, based on their own conditioning. And yep, eight out of ten it. times, I hit it right on the nail. And they see me, and they, and they have their head low. I said, man, hold your head up. I said, you're still living. I said, you have another opportunity to get it right. And they be like, Isaac, I know. I'm going to get it right this time. And I said, you know what? I hope you do. You know what my office is? Man, you get a chance. You get over there. Come see me. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. So, yes, I grew up in that era where the next door neighbor can discipline you. The neighbor down the street can tell you what to do. If somebody saw you do something, you most definitely knew that your mother and your father, if you had a two-parent home, was going to find out, and there were going to be consequences. And that yeah, was a different I, type of conditioning. Because we respected our elders, and we respected the elders within the neighborhood. Our, our older brothers and cousins and uncles, that was a time where Everybody knew everybody. I knew all of my cousins. My cousins knew who I was. Most family members today, they don't even know their cousins. Yep, it is a They don't world even know half of their family members. And it all comes down to that conditioning. So let's fix it. Are you ready to uh, learn a pretty good tool, Isaac? I'm always willing to learn something right, to put in so my toolbox. So you get to be my guinea pig because you're the only person I can talk to on this uh, show right now. But hopefully, listeners, when you report back to Isaac, let him know how well this thing worked. So, Isaac, on a scale from zero to 100, uh, what's your level of self-esteem? Zero would be, of course, zero self-esteem. And 100 would be you're at the end of a Disney movie, that level of self-esteem. Like right now, talking to me. What number pops up in your head as your level of self-esteem right now? 50. 50. Okay, so I want you to go on a thought experiment with me that uh, the New York Post is going to write an article about you and your work and how you're helping the community, but they're going to take a deep dive into your life. And a friend of yours says, Isaac, you better get ready for this interview. And you go into this room that's divided in two with a glass wall. And you sit on one side of the room, and uh, there's a table, a chair, uh, a notebook, and you've got a pen in your hand, and you start writing down your accomplishments all the way back to when you were a little boy, things you were proud of. You start writing your accomplishments in Sunday school, maybe sporting achievements in elementary school, academic achievements, what you did for your siblings, for your parents that you're proud of. And you go all the way back to high school and college and what you did for work and your family. And as you're writing down your accomplishments, 
the essence of who you are, Isaac, steps out of your body. Some people may call it soul or higher self, steps out of your body and floats across past the middle of the room through that glass wall. And you're standing there watching yourself write your accomplishments on the other side of the room. And as you're standing there, Isaac, I want you to think of someone in your life, someone that loves you very much. That person comes and stands right next to you, watching you write your accomplishments through the glass wall on the other side of the room. Who's that person for you, Isaac? Someone that loves you very much. It would be my mother. Yeah. And since or my spirit, sister. So I'm, I'm going to stick with my mother. My mother. And what's her name? Marion. Marion. Is she still around? She's deceased. So remember her when she was alive. And I want you to step into her body and see yourself through your mom's loving eyes, watching you write your accomplishments. And as you see yourself through her eyes, I want you to listen to how much she loves you and how much she cares for you and how much she misses you. And since you're inside her body, I want you to feel the depth of her emotions for you, man, how much she loves you. And when you have all three, how she sees you, and you can hear her thoughts about you, how much she loves you, and you can feel the depth of her emotions. You step out of her body, you step through the glass wall, and you go back to where you're listening to me on this interview. And when you step inside your body, it changes things, right? Yes. And when you think about your level of self-esteem, what's that number gone to? I'm at a 90. 90? Yes. Yeah. And so what I've shown you there, Isaac, is this, is uh, and the listeners, is that you get to decide how you feel in life. Like, typically when people want a better self-esteem, they listen to a speaker that tells them they're amazing, they can do anything, they're made of stars, which is all brilliant, but it's from the outside. And it... The first speed bump you hit, it just melts away. This technique comes from within. You feel nine out of 10 in terms of self-esteem. And if you were going to talk to someone that needs help, you'd bring your best self. If you were going on a date night, you'd bring your best self. If you're going for an interview, you'd bring your best self. And that's my mission, Isaac, is to teach people how to take charge of their mindset. And when they do that, they show up differently in life. And when that happens, the world changes around them, Isaac, and it allows them to accomplish the things that they were put on earth to do. And that brings me happiness and joy, the ability to help people do that. That was amazing. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard it here on the den that was amazing thank it, you Isaac it, thank it you begins, for this uh, opportunity it begins with you and it ends with you yeah and many times we don't understand how powerful that is and for me you really just confirmed for me that no matter what happens, good, bad, or indifference, it starts and ends with me. 
Yep. And I most definitely appreciate that. I am so honored to have you this evening. You could have uh, been thank you, any, you could have been anywhere in the world, hanging out at the beach, maybe at the grocery store. However, you decided to come and hang out with Isaac at the den. And we really, uh, really appreciate that. So tell our audience how they can get in contact with you. For sure. Uh, best place to get a hold of me is just put my name and Isaac's going to put this in the show notes. Umar Hamid in Facebook, you'll find me. But I've got a new app coming out in the next few days. It's called Mindset Boosters. You can also go there.com. And this app, Isaac, does what I showed you a moment ago. It's got 60 small audio recordings that show you how to take charge of your mindset. And one of those tracks shows you how to switch on lovability in your heart or shows you how to let go of the anxiety like in five minutes. So that's gonna be my contribution to the world. Isaac, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for inviting me on your show. And reach out to me, let me know. If, uh, if I can be a service in New York and just come and help people that need help for an afternoon or uh, a day doing a workshop, if it would be my gift to you and the world to do that. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you. Most definitely, this is not going to be our first and last conversation. And you keep me informed when that app hits so I can support the app. Oh, thank you, Isaac. And good luck in your journey. And everyone listening, this is the truth I want you to know. There is a better you inside you. And uh, part of the journey is discovering that amazing, joyous person within. Most Take care, definitely. Isaac. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Umar Hamid. And if nobody told you guys out there today that they love you, guess what? Isaac wants to let you know that he loves you. And with that, have a great day. Have a great evening. And you can do anything that you put your mind to. Peace. <laughs>